The European Patent Office podcasts bring you an insight into the technology and innovation shaping the world. Hello, and welcome to this podcast from the European Patent Office, in which we will be discussing how startups raise finance and the role that patents and trademarks can have in that. The high failure rates of promising startups are often linked to their cash flow problems, so this is a topic of critical importance for Europe's economy. My name is Jeremy Philpot, and I work in communication at the European Patent Office. Joining me today are two experts who can answer our questions. First, we have the Chief Economist of the European Union Intellectual Property Office, Nathan Weisman. Nathan worked in telecoms and finance for 20 years before joining the EU IPO 16 years ago. He's been working in their observatory for the last 11 years. Welcome, Nathan. Hello, Jeremy. Thank you very much for inviting me. It is a great pleasure to once again be here and speak about another great study that we have carried out together with the European Patent Office. And also joining us is EPO Chief Economist, Jan Menier. Jan is working closely with the EPO's new Observatory on Patents and Technology, which just opened. Jan and his team have just published a new study co-authored with Nathan's team on patents, trademarks, and startup finance. Welcome, Jan. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Nathan. Good to see you again for another conversation. Okay, so first question. It's lovely to hear your complimentary remarks, Nathan, but can you talk a bit more? Why is EUIPO so happy to work with, with the EPO? What's in it from the two organizations to be working together for these sorts of studies? Actually, we published our first joint study 10 years ago already. So uh, wow. it's a cooperation that has been going on for quite some time. And the reason we like to work together with the EPO, aside from the wonderful people with whom we have chance to work, <laughs> is that, that, of course, we our studies are about uh, getting a good holistic view of the way IP is used by companies, large and small, in the course of their business. Of course, to get a holistic view, you have to include as many IP rights as possible. And in particular, when we're talking about industrial property, you have to include patents in addition to the trademarks and designs that we manage here. So it's natural that we work together with the EPO. Yes, indeed, I'll confirm. Actually, the EPO just launched its Observatory of Patents and Technology, which will uh, so focus on, uh, on these topics years after the EYPO started its own observatory of infringement. And we are well aware that innovation in technology depends not only on uh, patent protection, but on the smart use of the entire suite of IP rights. And there's no better partner for us than the EYPO in uh, addressing these questions. It's a complementarity, isn't it? You know, they've got the trademark and designs data, we have the patents data. It's a perfect complementarity indeed. And uh, as Nassan mentioned, we, we started 10 years ago with a focus on industries in Europe that intensively use intellectual property rights and their economic contribution to, to the EU. And uh, on this basis, we have been able to monitor also the economic performance of uh, businesses, of individual businesses that uh, make use of IP rights. And from there, we have gradually moved to, to more targeted studies on SMEs and their ability to leverage IP to grow. And finally, today on startups, so even more specific, this category of young, small businesses, very innovative, that heavily depend on IP, as we show in the study. Nathan, could you tell us a bit more about the methodology of the study? In particular, what were you counting? Where are you getting your data from? How are you able to judge you know, what startups are doing 
and so on. We have basically three main sources of data. One is a database called Crunchbase, which is a commercially available source of data on venture capital financing of startups. So that's where the financing data came from. We then took that data and matched it against the registers of the EPO and the EUIPO, which gave us the data on the patent and trademark activity, respectively, of the startups, which we could then match against this Crunchbase database. And that gave us a picture of the activity for a particular startups. We could see whether or not that company had applied for a trademark or a patent and then whether they were able to subsequently obtain venture capital financing and at what stage and so on. So it's this linking up then of commercial information about the status of the company with the data that we hold, that's either trademark data on your part or at the EPO we hold the patent data, and matching that up. Okay. Yes, indeed. It's, it's also important to mention that when we talk about the patent and the trademark data, we're talking both about European level and national level rights. So that we got a full picture of what these companies did in, in terms of those two IP rights, two types of IP rights. Right. So let's get down to the meat of it. So what's the study showing us then? What's it revealing in terms of the leading challenges that startups are facing? I mean, the reason we did this study, the reason why it is interesting to look at, uh, you know, how do European startups get hold of financing is, you know, put very simply that Europe lags far behind other regions of the world, especially the United States, when it comes to um, venture capital financing of startups. Oh dear, why do I feel I've heard this before? How bad is it? (laughs) Well, it is pretty bad. If you look at the most recent data for all regions, which is compiled by the OECD and covers the year 2021, then we're talking about an order of magnitude in terms of the amount of venture capital financing flowing to American companies compared to European companies. So it is pretty serious. There is, of course, a lot of variation within Europe. I mean, Europe is not a homogeneous entity in that sense. And this is, of course, part of the issue. And yeah, perhaps we'll be able to discuss some of this later. But in any event, it is an important issue because for most startups, this kind of capital is necessary. It's capital that can take a risk, that is willing to take a risk that you just don't get from a bank or friends and family. The good news is that the startup and venture capital ecosystem in Europe has been developing very fast during the past decade. So it's gradually catching up with other leading regions in the world, so, such as the US. But there are still some uh, some gaps uh, to bridge, especially with respect to the ability of the investors to screen, to evaluate startups that develop original products or technology, which are typically the startups that will be relying on intellectual property rights. So the extreme case, the extreme example is that of so-called deep tech startups, startups that are we carrying out R&D and developing breakthrough technologies that require large investments in low mid times. And for that, they need so-called patient investors, so investors that have the ability to commit to those investments. These are also the, the startups, typically, that will rely on patents and trademarks to protect their intellectual assets. Okay, but Jan, can we go a little bit deeper? Does the study identify if there are particular industry sectors which are more using IP than others or maybe having more difficulty with raising finance in the absence of IP? Yes, uh, actually, the, one of the interests of the study is that uh, it makes it possible to map the startup population in Europe to, to IP rights and therefore to have an idea of those that are, are relying on IP. So we find that uh, on average, overall, about 29% of uh, European startups have applied either for a registered trademark 
or for a patent at the national or European level. But of course, there is a lot of heterogeneity between sectors, and there are some industries that rely uh, much more systematically on, uh, on those IP rights. The most striking example is that of biotechnology. This is the most IP-intensive sector, with nearly half of startups using patents and trademarks. We also find a, a high IP intensity in sectors that are related to manufacturing, like uh, science and engineering, healthcare, and where startups file both patents and uh, trademarks quite intensively, about uh, 35% of startups for trademarks, 20% for patents, so which is higher than the other sectors. Uh, it's interesting also to have a look at uh, digital technologies. Actually, we, we find that startups with activities related to software use both patents and trademarks, but the proportion increases when we move to uh, data analytics, which is more technology-oriented, more te technology-intensive, and even more in the case of startups that innovate in AI, they rely more systematically on trademarks and on patents. So the closer you get to the core of the technology, uh, to, to the technology frontier, the stronger the reliance on both patents and trademarks. And then that's for sectors or startups that, uh, that combine both IP rights. But you also have said some sectors that uh, make little use of patents, but uh, a heavy use of trademarks. Some examples uh, include financial services or food and beverages. But then now turning to you, Nathan, you talked about how Europe lags behind USA in terms of access to finance for startups. What more does the study tell us then about the differences between different countries? Are, are there at least parts of Europe which are showing a glimmer of hope? Yes, certainly. But maybe before getting to that, we should speak a little bit about the overall aggregate uh, results on the EU level. But the basic question we ask in this study is, is there a relationship between a company's or a startup's activity in patenting or in trademarking and then their subsequent ability to obtain finance? And the very short answer to this is yes. I don't want to give too many numbers in a podcast, but just to give you a flavor. So if we look at the very early stages, what we call seed financing, find that 28% uh, of the companies that obtained seed financing had applied for a trademark prior to obtaining that financing. 10% had applied for a patent and 5% had applied to both. So that's at the early, at the initial seed stage. If we contrast that to the later stages of investment, the percentages rise dramatically. So in terms of the percentage of those companies that use trademarks, we are now up to 72% compared to 28% at the initial stage. And when we look at patents, we are looking at 44% of those companies uh, having applied for a patent, again, compared to 10% of the early stage. So quite significant differences. It's also interesting to note that if we look at the proportion of those companies that use European level rights rather than only national level rights, then that proportion also rises throughout the stages. So when we look at the early stage financing, 47% of the companies that did have a trademark had the European trademark. If we move to the late stage, then we saw before that, for example, 44% of the companies in the late stage had a patent, but of those, almost all, 92% were European patents. So what this shows us is that there is a particularly strong relationship between European level rights, which indicate expansion beyond the home country of the, of the startup, and the ability to obtain financing. 
this is therefore what investors are looking for. They're, you know, if a promising company that's likely to be stuck only in the home domestic market is less attractive than one that's clearly got ambitions beyond its borders. Of course. And that is especially true. You asked before about whether there are some regions of Europe that are doing better than other regions. The answer to that is yes. And uh, if you look, for example, at the Nordic countries, their ability to obtain financing for their startups is much better than in some of the larger countries in Southern Europe, for example. And of course, those countries are small. The Nordic countries are small markets. So the startups in those countries, they go international quite fast, quite early in their evolution, simply because of the size of the domestic market. Are there other reasons why IP is going to matter to investors in terms of, you know, they're looking at the IP portfolio of the startups? Yes, I think the primary reason is that IP matters to the startups in the first place. So it's important for the startups to have IP to, to succeed. IP is a way for them to secure their markets, kind of uh, imitation and, uh, and competitors. So to protect the market, it's also a way to convince customers. It's a way to scale because uh, IP can be licensed. It's a, it's a way to organize collaborations around the, the intellectual assets, uh, the technology or the brand. And it's also a way to formalize assets that can survive uh, even to the startups in, in case the startup goes bankrupt, which may always happen because it's a risky, it's a risky business. Or people and know-how leave the company, but at least the patent, for example, stays in the company. So, you know, that asset is still in the company, even if individual personnel leave. Exactly. And the point is that it's not uh, straightforward to obtain IP. You need to innovate. You need to demonstrate that uh, you have an original brand, a sign that you can trademark, or that uh, you have uh, an invention that is uh, new uh, that has an industrial application. So the, the very fact of uh, applying and obtaining IP works as a signal to convince uh, investors or other stakeholders of the value that is in store right, or exploited, developed within the startup. So this is where the question of the value of IP to investors becomes visible. It's a signal to investors. Yes, indeed. If I'm a startup and I go to a potential investor and say, oh, I have this great idea. Can you please uh, give me you know, 10 million euros so I can develop this idea into a product? The answer might be, well, prove it. How do I know that this is a great idea? If on the other hand, I can say, well, this great idea, I have already had the European Patent Office look at it and applied for a patent for this idea, then it becomes a very different conversation. Yeah. And, and certainly uh, when you watch TV shows where entrepreneurs pitch their ideas at investors, you know, in the UK, you've got Dragon's Den. In Germany, you've got Hürle uh, des Löwen. Often you will see that investors, they're looking for IP. They're looking for trademarks or patents in, in the things that are pitched at them. And if they can't, you know, they ask the question and the entrepreneur stands there and looks sheepish and says, oh, well, I haven't applied for anything yet. You can see it's a big turnoff for the investors. That's obvious. Do we see anything in, in the study that maybe indicates that some IP is more persuasive than others or more impressive? Yes, certainly. As I said before, we see that European level rights have a much stronger impact on the probability of a startup obtaining financing than to uh, just national level rights. And that is true in all the stages, whether we're talking about the seed or early stages or whether we're talking about the exit. And of course, exit, we have not mentioned it much yet, but then exit is, of course, very important because the early stage investors who put money into a company, they will eventually wish to realize the profit on their investment. And they realize that profit by either taking the company public or uh, selling it to another company. And so this is also very important. But yes, yeah, so clearly European level rights seem to have a greater impact as well as a bundling of rights. So a combination of patents and trademarks 
seem to have a much stronger effect than having just one or the other by itself. Yes, and uh, I would like to add here that uh, when it comes to European patents, the study is based on historical data. And so the data have been generated before the entry into force of the unitary patent, which started just in, uh, in June. And so it's uh, first a validation of the relevance of the unitary patent. So having a faster, easier access to pan-European patent protection for, for startups. And we can expect, conversely, the introduction of this unitary patent to boost the positive effect that we already demonstrate uh, in the study. So that will be instrumental for startups in Europe uh, to raise venture capital. Perhaps maybe to uh, build a little bit more about what I said about the complementarity of trademarks and patents before. You know, a patent means that the company has an innovative power in some sense, right? That they have intellectual capacity uh, to create something that is worth protecting through a patent and that the patent office says it's uh, sufficiently innovative, etc., to deserve, uh, to merit a patent. But if that company also registers a trademark, that's an indication to potential investors that that innovation has resulted in a product that is brought to the market and there will generate revenue. And this is what we also see. So if we look, for example, at early stage, we see that companies that only have trademarks have a four times higher probability of obtaining financing than companies that do not have any IP. But if we then go to companies that have only patents, they have a six times higher probability of obtaining such financing. So by itself, the patent has a stronger impact than the trademark. But companies that have both patents and trademarks have a 10 times higher probability of obtaining financing. So clearly it's the, the combination you know, the strongest possible combination is to have a combination of the true IP rights and on a European level. But Nathan, I, I want to come back on that because what we hear again and again when we're trying to explain to startup companies that they're going to need some IP, they say, oh, it's quite expensive. You know, it's a few thousand euros for a patent over several years. I can't afford it. And obviously we would like to argue, well, you can't afford not to. If they stop thinking of a patent or a trademark as a sunk cost, and instead thought of it as an asset. If you know that that investment of a few thousand in, in a patent and you know, another thousand on top for the trademark, the return on that is a 10 times better chance of getting venture capital coming in or other forms of investment, then surely that's got to be worth it. I mean, if that's going to bring in hundreds of thousands, a million of venture capital you know, in, in the early stages of the company, it's got to be worth it. Absolutely. I think the, this point and the complementarity of patents and trademarks is very important. And the fact that some companies combine both also shows that they have a holistic and proactive approach to IP. So they use IP not only as a kind of passive right, but as a pro proactive way to create value. And uh, I think this is what our results show. And this may sound abstract, but uh, we have uh, included some uh, some examples, some case studies in the study to make it more tangible or more, more visible. And that shows how these startups can uh, proactively and creatively leverage IP uh, to create value. So let, let me just cite one case of uh, Proxion. It's a, a Swedish uh, company that has created a new type of uh, innovative textile based on uh, carbon fiber. And this textile has applications in uh, aerospace, but also in sports, for instance. So it has many uh, market segments and they have patented the material that they have patented the production method, but they are, have also uh, trademarked the, the material, the trademark name is a text stream, and their main market is uh, aerospace. But uh, using their trademark, they can also distribute their technology, their material to uh, sports, to the sports industry, for instance. 
and uh, even license then the, the production method for sports company to leverage to market their technology. And that's a way for a small startup to quickly scale up and reach new markets. Yeah, I mean, you know, similar one then I can think of would be Gore-Tex. You know, that's a trademark for a very particular type of textile. And, you know, when you see that Gore-Tex name on any clothing product, whether it's waterproof shoes, waterproof jackets, waterproof trousers and what have you, I are Gore-Tex, you know, okay, so you know what it is. So that's a Swedish startup using patents and trademarks for a carbon fiber textile. Yes, and a, and a very nice example in my view of a so-called dual business model combining patents, trademarks to design a sophisticated licensing strategy. We're coming to the end. I've still got one like takeaway question to ask. What do you feel are the policy conclusions that readers should be drawing from this? Particularly, you know, if there was a policymaker here, what would be the thing that you'd want to really draw to their attention? I would say that uh, the first and foremost policy conclusion is that IP rights matter for startups and for investors, and that uh, both categories of uh, stakeholders should be aware of that. And uh, there is still uh, potential to, to raise further raise awareness on that, uh, on that fact. It's not only a matter of having a trademark or a patent, as we saw with the Oxion, it's also a matter of smartly using them. And there, there is room for, for startups to, to learn how to better leverage their IP, but also for investors to better understand how they could advise and uh, incentivize the, the startups in which they invest, pay attention to IP rights. And, and then of course, Jan being such a modest man, did not mention that the EPO itself, for example, is launching a very useful tool designed to help potential investors connect with potential startups in which to invest, uh, the Deep Tech Finder, which very nice interactive tool that I've had the privilege of having a sneak preview of. And I think things like that, you know, are really useful because after all, you know, it's easy for us to compare Europe and the US, but Europe is still a fragmented market in many ways. And so perhaps, so there is not one solution that will work everywhere. And perhaps what is also important to note that, you know, the kind of barriers to investment are not uniform across the EU. There are countries that are doing better. So we don't need to copy the Americans or the Israelis or all the regions that are famous for uh, for the venture. There are parts of Europe that do have a thriving VC ecosystem. And so there are best practices that can be transferred within the Europe that would improve the performance. Now, I mentioned the Nordic countries earlier, you know, places like Sweden, Finland, Denmark, there you, you have an active venture capital environment and startups there are able to get financing and grow. So we don't have to necessarily look the other side of the Mediterranean or the other side of the Atlantic. You know, there are enough homegrown best practices if we can just transplant them a little bit more widely within Europe. Thanks also for the kind plug for the Deep Tech Finder. You're right, it's 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 a lovely little tool and it could well help bridge the problem that, that Jan flagged up in terms of getting investors who may be you know, reasonably tech savvy and they know about how to back one startup compared to another, but it will introduce them to curated patent data that the EPO is providing to in combination with, with business information on potential startups. I think that's it. Looking at my watch, we're out of time. But Nathan, Jan, thank you so much. It's been such a lot of fun talking about your new study. Always really insightful for me to get your take on it. It's a privilege to be able to talk to the authors of, of a study rather than just some third-party commentator on a topic. But also, thanks to all of you out there for listening. Please come back to epo.org to explore the study, Patents, Trademarks and Startup Finance from the EU IPO and EPO. 
But for today, from Nathan, Jan, and myself, it's goodbye. Dovidenia. Au revoir. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you. Subscribe to the European Patent Office's podcast channel, Talk Innovation, at epo.org or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk innovation.